we are kicking off a new series today, and it's called Changed. And the question we're going to be asking over the next several weeks is one that you've asked yourself subliminally at some point, or maybe out loud, and this is the question. Can I really change? Can I really change? Can I make some major lifelong changes, or am I just stuck where I am? Every January, millions upon millions of people, all over the world probably, but certainly in the Western world, start out by making resolutions that go something like this. This is the year where I do this or I stop doing that. And we make these promises to ourselves or these decisions that, that we're going to change something in our lives. I want something in my life to be different. I want to change some behavior. I want to start doing something different or stop doing something that I've been doing so there will be a different change in my life. We all have this inward longing to improve ourselves. All of us, every one of us want to get better. That's why we go to the gym. We go on diets. We profess that we're going to read more or watch TV less, spend more time with those we love, save more money, be kinder to other people. We, we do those things because there's something hardwired within us that says, I want to be better than I am right now. And that's what this series is about. But I, I want to give you a disclaimer before we dive in. And today's all intro. My only goal in this message today is that you'll come back next week. That's my only goal. It's just set up. It's to, to set the stage for everything we're going to talk about. But I want you to know this. As we dive into different areas of our lives over the next several weeks and talk about how we can be different and how we can change, listen to me clearly. This is not a self-help study. Tony Robbins is not going to be up here talking. It's not just do this, don't do that, and you'll be better. Categorically, without shame, I'm telling you, our only hope for change is Jesus Christ. That's why so many people walk through this world searching and trying the next fad thing. This will be the one. This will be the magic pill, so to speak, that will make my life what I hoped it would be. And I'm just telling you, I don't know who you are today. I don't know where you came. I don't know if your week was as bad as mine. I don't, I don't know. All I know is this. Until you come to the point in your life where you hand over the keys to Jesus and let him be the Lord and the love of your life, you're going to stay stuck. It's not going to change. Maybe temporarily you, you change. It's kind of like New Year's resolutions, right? The problem with those is a few weeks into the new year, or if you're really, really good, a couple of months into the new year, when we fall off the wagon or notice that we've stopped going to the gym or we started eating things that we said we weren't going to eat, it's in those moments of failed resolutions that we feel the most stuck. And we find ourselves asking that question, can I really even change? Is it even worth it to put forth the effort? I want to start today by stepping back a little bit and giving some thoughts on where I think, and I don't have scripture to back this part up, so save your comments there. This is where I think a lot of people land when considering who they are and where their life is going. What direction am I going? Who am I supposed to be? I think most of us fall into one or two categories or maybe a combination of both of these. Number one, 
I think a lot of us see our lives when we are little babies as a blank page. Like, you're a baby. You haven't done anything wrong yet. You have, a, you have a clean slate to start with. And then over the period of our lives, people and events write on that page, both good and bad. And then one day we, we wake up and look at that page and we go, because of this page, because of what everyone's done to me, said to me, what's happened to me in my life, this is who I am. And so that's one category. Then another category is somewhere along the lines, we bought a sales pitch from someone, maybe someone that loved us a lot, or we thought loved us. And they told us, this is who you are, this is how you'll always be. And the problem with that is we we grow into adulthood or even even into our teenage years and and we kind of look around at our lives and, and, and we feel stuck sometimes and we refer back to those foundations, maybe that page that people and events have written on or whatever someone told us we're going to be or what our life should be. And we go, it's not even worth trying to change because this is it. This is my life. This is what I am. This is how it's been for a long, long time, and this is how it's going to be. And it becomes this vicious cycle for all of us, and and I hope you can relate in here today because I know I can. In fact, let me tell you, if you weren't here last week, I got up here, and it it was a great message. You should go watch it, and I'm just, you know, if I say so myself, it was really good, but but because of the content, and I got up here and I, I gave all praise and glory to God that for the last handful of years, I have not struggled with depression and anxiety after the holidays because I have my, my whole adult life on one level or another. And it was like the enemy goes, oh, doing good, are you, Ferris? All right, I got something for you this week. And it was this, it was just, it was a tough week. And, and maybe you're in that boat with me and you're like, Man, it seems like every time I take two steps forward, I take three steps backwards. Am I ever going to get there? And it becomes this vicious cycle of, I don't really want my life to stay like this. But I guess this is where I'm stuck. I guess this is what it'll always be. And some of us even fall into the trap of the enemy of saying, why bother? Why bother? Why, why do I even open myself up to being disappointed again? I want to I give you some words real quick today that might describe that cycle for some of us. And, and I know not everybody is going to relate to every word. And there are too many to put on the, the screen. So I just want you to listen to these words and ask yourself, does that word describe the cycle that I find myself stuck in? That cycle of, I don't want my life to be like this. I don't want to be like this but I feel like this is where I'm stuck. Listen to these words. Bitter. Angry. Selfish. Fearful. Overcompetitive. Rude or harsh. Lazy. Dishonest. Jealous, greedy, judgmental, sad, frustrated, searching, confused, beaten down, victimized, not good enough, 
will never measure up. When you hear those words, doesn't it become a little more real? Because we humans are really good at compartmentalizing things in our lives. And we walk around suffering from cycles that we don't even know are capturing the life that God intended for you to live. And they're holding you back from experiencing what Jesus died to give you. Don't miss this, okay? I think when we resign ourselves to those labels and think to ourselves, that's what I've always been. I've tried numerous times to change and it doesn't work. So I guess that's how I'll always be and fill in your word or words. Maybe one that we didn't even list. When we do that, we eventually get to this place where we actually are stuck. And then we just settle. We've been hearing that word a lot around here lately. Don't miss this. Look at this on the screen. Jesus did not die on the cross and raise from the dead for you to settle. What he gave on your behalf is way more expensive than that. Jesus said some words in John chapter 10, and if you've grown up in church, this will be really familiar to you, but I hope for all of us, whether you've been in church a long time or not, I hope it'll be encouraging to you and maybe freeing, uplifting. John 10.10, 10, the, the first way I'm going to read it is out of the English Standard Version. And these are Jesus' words, and he says this. The thief, he's talking about the devil, the enemy, the one who hates you and wants to destroy you. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And can I stop there and let you know that when Jesus said that, he wasn't talking about a physical death. It didn't mean that the devil wanted to come and literally murder you. Because if he did, we, most of us would be dead. That steal, kill, and destroy means he wants to destroy and take away any resemblance of joy, peace, hope, purpose in your life. He wants to destroy it. And in the process of that, destroy you and destroy any thought of who you thought Jesus might want you to be. That's his plan. And, and look at me this morning. If you're headed into this new year and you're going, I just don't know why I'm struggling so bad. I know. Because there's an enemy named Satan and he hates you. And he doesn't want you to have one ounce of joy or peace in your life. And before you ever get out of bed every morning, he's ready. And he's got the game plan. And let me tell you something, he watches your game film. He knows where you're weak. And he's coming after you. That's why it's not as simple as, you know, willpower and go, I'm going to do better this time. We're, not, we're no match. You are no match for the enemy that hates you. So Jesus said about him, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But look what he says. I came that they, that means you and me, may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Jesus is saying right there, I did not come for you to settle. That's not why I gave myself for you. You are worth far more than that. 
I came so that you can have so much joy in your life that it overflows and spills out on the people around you and your joy causes joy in their life. That's why I came. I came so that you might have life and have it abundantly. And here's a fair question. What exactly does abundantly mean? Because I've heard that passage for 35 years of my life. And one time or another, I always go, exactly what does he mean by abundant? What, what does that mean? So let's look at the New Living Translation, just someone else's version of this same verse. John 10, 10, New Living Translation, the Bible says this, Jesus' words still. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, pause. He didn't mean that kind of rich. Sorry, okay? We don't teach that here at the, at the bridge, okay? If you're sitting there going, yeah, well, I am far from rich, okay? He's not talking about winning the lottery, okay? Although, I mentioned last week, if you ever do win it, that's great. Just make sure you tithe. <laughs> the word that popped out to me in this version, New Living Translation, was that second word, satisfying. Is there anybody else that would be vulnerable enough besides me in this room today to go, satisfaction seems so fleeting sometimes. It seems unattainable. It, and, and listen, it doesn't mean that our lives are terrible. We got a good job. Most of us got a great house and a great cars that run and friends that love us. But it seems like something's still missing. Like we have all this good stuff, but then we go, I'm still to quote the great theologian, Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. Right? I mean, we stay stuck in that. And we go, and, and, and if you don't do something about it, listen to me, if you don't act on it, then you find yourself settling for a life where you go, well, this is it. I'll never get any better. Life will get any, never, never get any better. I, I think I've probably told you guys this. During my darkest times battling depression. If you're new here, yes, the pastor's really messed up. Yes, we say around her all the time, and they let you pastor a church, and we're all blown away, okay? So if you're new here, it's not news to us, okay? We all know that. But in some of my darkest days, one of the ways the enemy would attack me is with my family. And if you've never, if you haven't reached empty nest yet, it'll be hard for you to relate, but you'll relate one day. Even as my daughters got older, I would think about times when they were little or I would see pictures of them when they were little. And life seemed so good back then. And the enemy would whisper in my ear, that's as good as it'll ever get. It'll never be like that ever again. You'll never be that happy again. And there were times in my life where I bought it hook, line, and sinker, man. I bought the whole thing, swallowed the hook. And, it, and listen to me. It began to destroy me. It, it ripped away from me the joy and the peace that Jesus died to give me. Now, maybe that's not your struggle, you know, family and all that. But we all have our struggle. And if we're not careful... We sacrifice a rich and satisfying life and we settle for something that Jesus never intended for us to settle for and we walk through life going like this. I wonder if I'm the only one that's as messed up as I am. 
Nobody wants to hear from me. I'll never be good enough to make an impact on somebody's life. That second part, you're correct. You'll never be good enough. But it's Jesus in you that allows you to make an impact on somebody else's life. Case study number one. I got nothing to offer. You might be shocked to know how many times I walk up on this stage every single week and the thought in my head is, you're the last person that should be up here teaching God's word. You are not worthy of this. And you know what? That's true. But because 33 years ago I handed over the keys of my life and took the sweetest deal that's ever been offered to me, Jesus is worthy. So I just stand up here and be the mouthpiece. And my prayer every week is that he'll speak to you. Sometimes you'll email me or you'll text me or you run into me out there in the lobby and you say, I feel like you're reading my mail, right? Like, like I felt like you wrote that today for me. Listen to me. That's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus talking to you. That's Jesus taking the words of a really broken, messy pastor and putting them into your heart and bringing them to life so that you don't have to settle. Even if you buy into the truth that that's why Jesus came. He came to give you a rich, satisfying, abundant life. Maybe you buy that. But you still have two questions in your heart. Number one, okay, that's why he came. But in this broken, messy world, and as broken and messy as I am, is it really possible? Is abundance, is a rich and satisfying life really possible? And some of you, you can relate to this, we fall into the trap where we go, oh, it's possible for good people like them, just not for you. Or maybe even if you buy all that, the second question that we ask is, if that's true, if Jesus came to give me an abundant, rich, and satisfying life, how do I get there? What, is it? what does that look like? Like, can you just give me a prescription to, to say, do this? So for the rest of our time today, I want to throw out some theories of what has to happen in our lives if we're ever going to truly change truly change. And I don't mean you're going to be nicer to your spouse for a week. You're going to work harder at your job for a couple of weeks. You're going to keep a tighter watch on the budget for a month. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about changing you. So let's start with this. Look here. This is, this is good. Not everyone needs to change on the same level or for the same things. So relax. Right? If you're sitting here today and you're like, you know what? I'm actually pretty good, man. I don't know what all the fuss is about. My life's pretty good, man. I feel like I'm on track. I would just say this to you. Ask God, like David did in the psalm, to search your heart. And ask this question. What area of my life needs to look more like Jesus? Like, what, what area do I need to get better in? Because there's nothing wrong with that. That's a part of the, the sanctification, as we call it. It's a big churchy word for becoming more like Jesus on this earth until you die and go to heaven. Look at this. 
before we can change how we act, we have to change our hearts. Leave that up for a second, Lindsay. Before you can change how you act and how you treat other people, there's got to be heart surgery that takes place. And so listen to me. This series is not about changing how you act. It's about Jesus changing who you are. And then the actions will come with it. And I'm, if you're like me, you're sitting there going, that's a mountain too big for me to climb. I am not interested. I, I feel you, and I know what that feels like. But Jesus came literally to move mountains in your life and in mine. And by the way, that, that thought, if you want to change how you act, you've got to change your heart first. I didn't write that. Jesus did. Look at this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Jesus says these words, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. But an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. In other words, I said that because that's who I am on the inside. I acted that way because that's where my heart is. Until I change my heart, I'm not going to change how I act. And I know, listen, I know willpower can get you down the road a little ways, but that's not what this series is about. It's about Jesus literally doing a heart transplant so that you are a new person. I don't know when it was, but a few series back, we had, we had a, a statement on the screen, and it went something like this. When you, when you become a Christian, you act differently because you're a different person. You're new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that. You are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And I don't have the answer to the question, the, the statement, okay? I don't know why it takes so long for the new to come. Except, go back to John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. It's the only thing, it's a lifelong journey. And I think one of the reasons people give up on changing their hearts and changing who they are on the inside is the same reason we give up at the gym or on a diet. And here's what it looks like. We are creatures of instant gratification. We want it to change right now. That's why people have invented things like cars and planes and microwaves because we want to get there now. And, and, and the struggle with this is that the, the change that God wants to bring about in your heart to make you a new person is a really slow process. So just like when we go to the gym for two weeks, then we look in the mirror and we go, I don't look any different. It's not worth it. It hurts too much to go to the gym to not look different immediately. So I'm going home, right? Or some, you know, somebody says, man, do, do, do you want to have a great life where you feel healthy and, man, you should go on this diet. And we go on the diet for a couple of weeks and then somebody goes, hey, how are you feeling? You're like, well, I don't feel any different and I don't look any different. But don't you want that healthy life? Yes. Then are you going to stick with it? No, I'm going to McDonald's, right? That's what we do. 
because it seems too hard to go to the pain and, and through the process and the fire of remaking who we are on the inside. Speaking of that, here's another way to restate the previous statement. If you want to change the outside, you've got to start on the inside. And the greatest gift, and I know that sounds like one of those cheesy church signs that you see, you know, sometimes you're passing, you know, whatever, turn, turn or burn, get sanctified or french fried, you know, you've seen those signs like that. Like, like, I know it sounds cheesy, but it's just true. And I'm not saying that you can't alter your behavior temporarily, but here's the greatest gift you can give your family, your spouse, your friends, your boss, and yourself over the next several weeks as we walk through this series is not someone who's trying really hard to change their behavior. The greatest gift you can give them is a new you. A new person who thinks differently. Who sees the world differently. Who sees themselves and how God sees them differently. Now, Ironically, at the same time, that's all true. You can't change the outside till you change the inside. Here's another one. This is going to confuse and frustrate some of us, I realize. But it goes like this. Long-term change won't happen unless you start doing some things differently. So let me break that down for a minute. Because you're like, you just said it's not about doing things, it's about changing the inside. Then, okay, pause, relax. Okay, here it is. When I say that you can't change the outside until you change the inside. I'm talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, right? How you treat other people. How you think about yourself. How you see the world. Okay? So you can't change all that until there's been a heart change. But what we're talking about here is you can't change your heart. God won't change your heart until you start to do some things differently in your life. And it's that old saying, if you want different results, do different stuff. And some of us, here's what we do. We come in here on Sunday, and I put myself on the list sometimes, okay? We come in here, we sit, we listen to some songs, they kind of move us inside, we listen to a, a sermon, and, and we feel something, maybe, maybe it's God talking to me, I don't know, and we walk out of here, and it's almost as if we look at God and go, well, there, I did it change me. Like I, I sat through a whole sermon of Ferris today, like, do, okay, do your thing, God, change me. And I think God is going, you think it's that simple? Like, you think it's just, I dream of genie and, and you're different? Like at the very core of who you are, you're a selfish sinner. It's peeling the onion one layer at a time. And if you think, and, and I know I'm stepping on toes here, and you're welcome. If you think coming in here for an hour and 15 minutes every Sunday is going to do the trick, you're going to stay stuck. Because it's not enough. You've got to start doing things differently. You guys ever watch shows about prison? I know that's kind of a weird question in the middle of the sermon, but... <laughs> I'm going somewhere. Relax. You know, and I'm not talking about like uh, Blue Bloods or, you know, Prison Break or anything like that. I'm talking about like documentary type stuff on prisons. The one I watched recently was called Locked Up, right? Sometimes it's good to watch that show because I'm like, 
least my life's not that bad, <laughs> right? Sometimes it's depressing to watch that show because I go, I wonder if people realize how close their pastor is to that. <laughs> Look, that was a nervous laugh. You're like, uh-huh. if you only knew. Anyway, I was watching Locked Up not too long ago. And I was watching this episode, and, and it fo- the focus of the show was this guy that had been in prison off and on for over 30 years. And he was only in his early 50s. So his whole adult life, he spent in and out of prison. And a couple of things caught my attention. The guy interviewing the inmate asked him this question. How do you accept 23 hours a day in a 6 by 12 cell without going crazy? How do, how do you do it? Like, how do you make it? And his answer stunned me a little bit, but it also saddened me at the same time. Because this is what he said, without missing a beat. He said, I've just trained myself not to think or imagine life outside of myself. I have made up my mind that this is my life. And as long as I don't think about what life could be outside of here, I don't get depressed and go crazy. So I just keep my thoughts inside this little box. The other thing that really grabbed me is the fact that this guy hadn't spent 30 consecutive years in prison. He'd gotten paroled two previous times. He was released. He was given a new lease on life. Listen, he was set free. But obviously something happened that landed him back in prison. So the interviewer asked him, why do you think you haven't been able to function on the outside? Why do you keep landing back here in prison? And again, without blinking, this inmate said, I didn't change anything I had done previously when I got on the outside. That's why I keep landing back here. I didn't change anything. I hung out with the same people, went to the same places, did the same stuff, and it brought me right back here. Please don't miss this today. Some of us choose to stay in our cell. And we refuse to allow ourselves to think, what could life be if I ever got out of this? What, what could my life look like? So we think of these statements like, if you want different results, you've got to do different stuff, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's worth considering this. As we go through this series, this is a disclaimer, a warning, whatever you want. Look at this. Change is not easy And it requires intentionality. And so I'll just give you an example, okay? If you're a prisoner, literally a prisoner, and you have a 15-year sentence, and you're hoping to change that 15 to 7, you better do stuff differently. You better be the model inmate, right? And, And don't confuse this with trying to be the model citizen so Jesus will love you more. That's not what I'm teaching here. My point is that just like this guy, if you don't change some things in your life, you're going to keep revisiting the prison cell over and over again. And it's not fair to ask, why do I keep ending up here? Because you keep doing the same stuff. Mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally, vocationally. These are some of the areas we're going to touch on over the next several weeks. And we ask ourselves, can I change mentally, physically, spiritually, financially, relationally, in my vocation? Can I really change? 
And so as we go through this, I'm just warning you, it might be in your best interest to buckle up and make up our minds that this is really what we want to hear from God over the next several weeks. Because if not, you're going to get offended or frustrated or tired and you'll go, you know what, I'll just come back when that series is over. And, and listen, this is not mind games that I'm playing here. That would break my heart because I've studied for months on this stuff and I know what God has to say for us, to us. And for some of you, this could be a game changer. It could be life altering if you'll just come back every week. So I want to I land the plane this way today. I want to I give you four characteristics of people who successfully make radical changes in their life. And for just a minute, we're going to go back to the Bible in a minute, but we can even set spiritual things aside for a minute. If you're skeptical, if you're kicking the tires on Jesus and not sure you really believe in this whole God thing, fine. Set it aside for a minute and let's just look at these characteristics of people, Christian, non-Christian, whatever you want to say, they are people who successfully made radical changes in their life. Characteristics, okay? Number one, they have a vision for what life could be. Just like the prisoner, right? They allow themselves to think outside the prison cell and go, if I made some changes in my life, what could it be like? Could I be free from bitterness, anger, jealousy, depression, selfishness, the list? Could, could I be free? Could I really? I, I could do that if I just changed some things. They have a vision for what life could look like. Number two, someone else has to do for them what they cannot do on their own. And I know what some of you are thinking already. You already don't like number two. Because in your mind you're going, great, this is where Pastor Steve starts the guilt trip on getting in a life group. And you're partly right. <laughs> let, me, let me propose this to you. And again, I can't control how you handle it or how you accept it. But if, if you're sitting here today and going, I don't need other people. I don't need help. I can fix my life all by myself. Then my question to you is, why haven't you? If you could do it all by yourself, my theory is you'd have already made the changes. You're not strong enough and neither am I. That's why during life group season, I can't wait for Wednesday nights. Because I know people that genuinely love me are going to be in my presence. And I know it's a safe place to say, suck in right now. Life is not good. And I got people that literally look me in the eye and go, and we look each other in the eye and go, you're not alone. And sometimes we need people to be strong when we can't be strong for ourselves. And, and let me address this. I know this is where some of you go, I know that. I'm not saying that's wrong. I just don't have to be in a life group to do that. I got my people. Okay. So why haven't your people that you're relying on, how come you haven't changed yet? Maybe it's time to consider finding some new people in your life. Way back, I think we were probably in the library, I told the story of this lady at my, my church when I was a youth pastor in another state that I won't mention in case people are watching on the internet, they won't know who I'm talking about. But anyway, 
this lady had the spiritual gift of negativity, right? That was her gift. And it didn't matter what we said, what the idea was. We could go like this. Hey, kids, guess what? Next Wednesday night at youth group, Jesus is coming, right? Like he's going to be here. He's, he's our special guest next week. He's actually going to stand right here. She would find something negative about that. It was like this dark cloud hung overhead. And, and it is possible that we may or may not have called her Eeyore behind her back. And not just because of how she acted. Anyway, some of you get that later. But my point is this. Let me tell you what this lady taught me. And it was a hard lesson. And I don't live by it perfectly now. But I changed how I was doing things. And it's made an impact on my life. And here it is. Life is too short to spend time with negative people. It's just too short, man. And it's too hard already. It's too hard with positive people around you. Don't waste your time on negative people. And now you're going, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to love them? Yes, okay, there's some understood between the lines here. Don't be rude, okay? Don't send them a letter saying, you're out. You know, I'm, I'm kicking you off the island or whatever. Don't, don't do that. But look, believe enough in what Jesus died to give you that you're very selective about who your inner circle is. And I'm just telling you, next Sunday, right over here in in this area, there will be tables and there will be people out here that want to love you. They're not perfect. They're going to need you to love them sometimes. But I could even, just in the last four months of our Fall Life Group series, I could point out person after person who ran into a brick wall or went off the deep end or got stuck in a really dark pit or had something really hard happen in their lives. And it was one of my greatest joys as a pastor to watch their life group surround them and go, we got you, man. That's why I push life groups. You need other people and they need you. Number three. So by the way, next week, life group leaders will be over here and might want to go sign up. Anyway, number three. Remember, these are characteristic of people who did make substantial changes in their life. Number three, they have to make up their mind to make a change. Here's some hard truths. We can say we want to do something we, we, we can say we want to change, we can pray about it, we can sing songs about it, but a day has to come where you make up your mind, this is where it stops. This is where I don't settle anymore. This is my moment. I'm drawing a line in the sand. Bring somebody into your life for accountability and share with them, this is where it stops. This is where the change begins today. You've got to make up your mind. You can't just wishfully think, sit in here and sing songs and, and pray to God, hey, God, change me. There has to be a moment of resolve where you go, this is it. This is my moment where in this area I'm going to change. And, and, and that sounds easy, right? But number four goes with that. What else do they do? They start doing things differently. They take a step. They take the first step and say, man, I've been doing things this way and I'm getting this, but I want my life to look like this, so today I'm going to start doing this. Maybe it is sign up for a life group. 
Maybe it's commit that you're going to be here for six more weeks in a row and not miss what God has to say to you through this series. Maybe it's going to be call somebody and say, hey, I need you to be my accountability. Maybe it's you go home and clean out the pantry. Maybe it's you you go home and look at the budget and commit to, to start finding out where is our money going. Whatever it is, maybe... Whatever it is for you, maybe the biggest step you have to take is the first step. I'm going to do something. How about this? Maybe if somebody's in here and they're going, man, I, I get the whole God thing. I just, I don't have time to make it the most important thing in my life. I want God to be my all in all. I just don't know if I can do it. Then, then here's your first step. Tomorrow morning, set your alarm 15 minutes earlier. 15 minutes. By the way, scientists would say 15 minutes of sleep is not going to cost you anything. I know the sleep devil tells you that because if you've experienced it like I have, one of the worst moments in human history is when you actually wake up like 12 minutes before your alarm is supposed to go off, right? (laughs) More people say bad words in their head in that moment then all the other moments combined because we're like, I need that 12 moments. Secret. No, you don't. It's not making that much difference. And I'm, I'm putting myself on that list. But listen, first step, set your alarm 15 minutes early. Find a chair and just talk to God. And you, you say, okay, fine. Fine. I'll set my alarm. I'll find a chair. What do I say? Right? It sounds so easy when you talk to God. I don't even know if I know how to talk to Him. Here's a tip. Be honest, candid, raw, and talk to Him just like you would talk to your best friend. Because that's what He wants to be. He wants to be all of that for you. But an interesting thing about our God, He's not going to force Himself on you. But at least in my case, the more I seek him and the more I intentionally set myself up to spend time with him, it's crazy. The more different I become on the inside. And it's not a perfect plan because you're going to mess up and there are going to be mornings where you're like, yeah, that chair can just stay right where it's at because I'm not coming today. Last verse I want to share with you is in Galatians chapter 5. I mentioned the fruit of the Spirit, but this is at the beginning of that letter. Just to set it up for you real quick, Paul the Apostle wrote this letter to a town called Galatia. So if you lived in Galatia, you were a Galatian. See, you learned something today, right? So he writes this letter to this group of people long after he had left there. Okay? And here's what the whole letter pretty much was about. And then we're going to zero on one verse and then we'll be done. He basically wrote this letter to say, hey, good job. You chose Jesus. You handed over the keys of your life to Jesus. You're going to heaven. You got the fire insurance, but nothing else has changed. That's what the whole letter of Galatians is about. So if you want to start reading the Bible somewhere while we're in this series on change, start with Galatians. Because it's all about this. Like, okay, you got the good deal. You got the sweet deal where you get to go to heaven, but you haven't changed any. And so toward the end of this letter, in in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes these words. It's on the screen. So Christ has truly set us free 
You don't have to sit in the cell anymore. You don't have to be like the prisoner who says, I made up my mind, this is my life. Christ has truly set us free. Look what he says. Now make sure that you stay free and you don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. And what he's saying is, the lock has been taken off your cell. You're free to be who God created you to be. And it's not going to look like anybody else, but you're free to experience the joy and peace that he died on the cross to give you. You don't have to run back in and slam the cell door and go, this is where I'm stuck. Because he blew the lock off the door when he rose from the dead. You don't have to stay that way anymore. So if you, don't hear, if you didn't hear anything else I said today, don't miss this. You don't have to stay stuck. Jesus died to set you free. When you choose Jesus, it should change you. Maybe a little bit at a time. And maybe you you go through some seasons that look like this and some that look like this, but a lot that just look flatlined like this. But the promise is this. He's working. Even when you can't feel Him, you can't see Him, He's working on your behalf. He's setting things up so that you can experience the life that He died to give you. So I close with this. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about changing these different areas of our lives, and that's great. But listen to me. If you don't change where Jesus sits in your life, everything we're going to talk about will be meaningless. And that's a choice you have to make on your own. I can't make that for you. As we close here, a few questions. What's the vision for your life? What's your vision for your life? Maybe a better way to ask it is this. What do you want your life to look like? Just pause for a minute. What, what do you want it to look like? That list we, we said, I, I don't think any of us would sign up for that and go, I want bitterness and anger and depression and sadness and fear. Well, what do you want it to look like? And finally, and here's the really hard question to take home with you. What are you willing to do to make your life look like that? What are you willing to do? What, what little things are you willing to do differently so that you get different results and your life looks different? Let's pray. God, I am so grateful today for your unfailing, unconditional love. I'm so grateful that you don't stand up in heaven tapping your foot with your arms folded and a look of disgust on your face saying, why don't you change? Changing our behavior is never going to gain an ounce more of your love because you already love us infinitely. And nothing we could ever do or not do will make you love us more than you do right now. And God, for one in here, I am eternally grateful for that. God, my prayer is that all of us, starting with me, would start taking little steps to to make our hearts look differently. And then once our hearts change, the outward actions just come. 
God, give us courage. Send people into our lives to walk this journey with us, to hold us up when we are weak and to allow us to hold them up when they're struggling. Thank you, Jesus, that no matter how long change takes, you are for us and you love us and you believe in us more than we believe in ourselves. It's in your name we pray.